0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Acts chapter 20 this morning. This is where we see the Apostle Paul saying goodbye To the Ephesian elders. And this is such a monumental text. And as we look at this and we think about how hard it is to say goodbye to loved ones. Now, if you're saying goodbye to somebody that you don't really like that much, it's not that hard. Like, hope I never see you again. You know, like, see you in the train, you know, pass you in traffic. You're like, wow, I hope. Hope I'm never behind you again or whatever it might be. But when you're saying goodbye to a loved one and you truly don't know, do we really know? Will we see one another again next Sunday? Are are we guaranteed that? And that kind of weight just, did I got to be here on that Sunday? And then I was trying to share that at the end and my you know, lump in the throat. And even the little young man helped me a little bit like, why is he crying? What's wrong with the guy? You're like, is he off his medicine again? What's going on here? Help him out. It's the whole weight of these are the people that I love. These people love me. We love the Lord. He's been so good to us. And we're going to share this love with brothers and sisters across the ocean. Like, this is incredible. We get to be part of this just overwhelming this is what we see unfold in this text paul wants to be in jerusalem by the day of pentecost it has it in the context he's gone through great trials great difficulties so in his travel he's moved it into high gear he has somewhere to be acts chapter 20 if you follow along there in your copy of god's word Luke records for us. He says, Now from Miletus, he, the Apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that he would, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Now as fitting that today in our New City Catechism, we looked at the Ten Commandments. So you know me and my great wisdom, I planned this whole thing out that we actually have 10 qualities here of biblical ministry. And you're laughing, right? 10 qualities of a biblical ministry that will endure, what will remain. And as we think about this claim, this, this proposition here from Scripture, I returned, and I will tell you that in the country I was in, no one cared about the Super Bowl. (laughs) I couldn't find it on anywhere, and the Lions weren't in it, so I didn't worry about it too much. I didn't really care too much. But I came back, and I saw some of the things that happened in churches across our nation on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you saw them or not. Bibles being kicked I won't go on and waste your time with the things that were being done to attract people, to make people choose to go to church instead of just missing out for Super Bowl parties. But I will tell you something. What if the Apostle Paul was to walk in a church doing those kind of shenanigans? let alone Jesus to walk in and see this is the church that I shed my blood for and that's my word and I'm the word made flesh and you're handling it how? That my word and my church has become subservient to a sport that most of the world doesn't even give a rip about? Ten qualities of a biblical ministry that will endure and not be relegated to out-of-date, out-of-taste, and out-of-touch with reality. This is, the, this is the word of God that we hold in our hands. And it's not just, you know, take care of the book, but it's the word in the book. Do our lives take care of the message of this book? And so as we look at this list of 10 that comes from Paul's life and ministry, the question is, do I see those characteristics in my own heart, in my own life? Do we see these in this ministry here, in this local congregation that we're part of? Are we seeing this here? Where do we need to see more of what Paul demonstrated with these elders from the Ephesian church. First of all, number one, humble servant leaders. Humble servant leaders. This is the the non-negotiable standard for leaders in the church. That they are Christ-like, that they are humble, and Paul demonstrated this. As leaders, we strive for unity, and we humbly lead by our example. So Paul says... Elders from Ephesus come to me, 17, 18, when they came to him. He said, you know, I didn't procrastinate when I came to Ephesus. My agenda was not in first place. It was the ministry, and it was the gospel. And the first day that I arrived in your town, I went to work. Remember what Pastor Dave said last week? how long are we going to just try to negotiate and just suggest the the different until we actually persuade others in the love of Christ Paul said I did that day one can we say that Paul ministered humbly in Ephesus that was his whole ministry, his whole life. He wasn't just a good first impression. Have you ever met somebody and they, they gave you an amazing good first impression and then you got to know him a little better? I'm like, whew, that's not what I thought. There's a little more behind the facade. Paul in verse 19, he remembered his own master. He was serving the Lord with all humility There's a a modesty here. It's a a deep sense of one's own littleness. That Paul never thought much of himself, but that he thought everything of Christ and of Christ's people. So he served the word, the Lord, and that's the, the word doula, slave. I'm a slave to Christ. And you are either a slave to Christ or you are a slave to sin. We're all slaves. The question is not, are you a slave? The question is, who's your master? One pays life with his own death, burial, and resurrection, and one pays death. We're all slaves. And Paul said, I know who I belong to. The Lord. Is that Greek word for master. He's my master, and he's a good master. To the Ephesian church, Paul wrote Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, With patience, bearing with one another in love. Can we say this? Is this how we relate to others in this faith family? That we bear with one another in love. To the Philippian believers, Paul wrote Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But here's a contrast. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Is that how you view those around you? Those in your family? Those sitting in the row in front of you or behind you? They are more significant than me. What is good for them? What is best for them? How can the Lord use me to serve them so faithfully and so well today? And that, that was Paul. He was a humble servant leader. Secondly, many tears and trials Many tears and trials, that's part of a biblical ministry that will endure. We're not exempt from tears. We're not exempt from trials. And when persecution came Paul's way, it made him more tender instead of more tough. Think about that. When trials come into your life, do they make you more bitter? Do they make you harder? stubborn, or do they soften you? Enemies of the gospel will always bring resistance and hardship. There's, There's one group of people the world will not tolerate, and those are true followers of Jesus Christ. Everyone else will mold and meld together and agree to just disagree and get along except one group The people that say you're not good enough, you're not good enough to merit God's favor. You're not good enough to save yourself. You can't do anything. It's like having muddy hands trying to clean your white shirt. You can't do it. We can't clean ourselves up. And as we think about the tears and the trials, Paul said there were many tears That's why he actually was able to get to Ephesus is because of trials that opened the door for him to actually plant a church in Ephesus. He knew what the psalmist said, Psalm 126 and verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Paul had a great concern for the genuine believers in the church. So he would weep for them. He carried the weight of those believers that he loved. He knew they loved the Lord. He was also greatly concerned about the false converts that mingled with the genuine believers in the church. He understood the damage that could be done by people proclaiming, professing to be followers of Christ, but they truly were not. And Paul also maintained a heart for those who were without Christ. He didn't come become preoccupied with only his friends in the Lord, only believers, but he had a heart for others. That's a heart that is sacrificial. Paul knew tears. He knew trials. Great testing. Some of you have been through or maybe are going through great testing right now. A, A difficult time of trial. It was Paul's countrymen that were plotting. They were lying in wait for the opportunity for Paul to come visit. Just earlier in the chapter, Acts 20, verse 3, there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. This is everywhere Paul went, that his own countrymen were out to get him. They hated him. For his message. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote, he said, 1 uh, Corinthians 16, verse 8, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> I'm up against it. Everywhere I go, there's a wide door of effective work, but there are many adversaries. Paul encountered persecution everywhere he went, but he maintained a tender heart toward his enemies. How hard is that for us to do? Somebody wrongs you. Somebody disappoints you. They let you down. How do you think of them then? How do you pray for them? How do you treat them? Paul said, a ministry that will endure Many tears, many trials. And thirdly, he says there will be a faithful proclamation of the gospel. A faithful proclamation of the gospel. And we see this is in verses 20 and 21. As soon as Paul hit the ground in Ephesus, he was telling people about Jesus. He did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable. Loved ones, we're not just saved by the gospel we're sustained by the gospel we need the gospel every day and it's very important that you understand what is the gospel even when we receive folks into membership that's one of the questions on a membership application do you understand what the gospel is the gospel, and let me, let me just refresh all of our memories in this, okay? The gospel is not something we do. The gospel is a message about what God in Christ has done. The gospel is a message. This message is proclaimed, and the gospel does not include a response to it, but it demands a response about it. If you're not clear on the gospel, then everything in your Christian life will be foggy and, and very upside down because you will mingle works with grace. Uh, I want to be a Christian and I want to try harder, I want to do more, and I need to go to church more and I need to read, read, read my Bible more and I, I need to, yeah, that's right, I need to share my faith more. and your, your works will be connected to gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's like being on death row, and you are expecting to die, and you rightfully deserve to die, and someone comes in with keys, and they say, you are being set free. How is this possible? Because someone else is taking your death someone else is taking your place and they're coming in this cell and you're able to go free and justice will be served because they're dying in your place now the difference in christ is he died and he rose again this is the gospel it deserves a response but the response is not part of the gospel and when paul came preaching this message this message is about god and that God in his grace and mercy, he created everything. And then Genesis 3 happened and our sins separated us from a holy God. And sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So paying the price demanded and deserved for our sin, Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. And he chose the nails and he was hung upon a cross suspended between heaven and earth, between God and man. And he bore our shame and he bore our our punishment and he bore the wrath of God and he laid down his life and they crucified him and then he was buried and then he rose again so that he, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is given life that never ends. And I'm wondering, church, can you share the gospel in three minutes? Do you have such a, a love for and a grasp of the good news of salvation that it's on the tip of your tongue wherever you go? That's why we ask the question what is the gospel? Because the gospel is not about what we do, the gospel is about what He did. Past tense, which connects to present tense, what he's able to do for you, what he is able to do for anyone, death row or working, living the American dream, like everything's fine. But you just don't have Jesus. What do you need? The gospel. This is a message. Paul said, I came declaring to you. He didn't hide it. This is, it's actually kind of reflective in the tone that I just had. And the volume that I just had. That Paul came and he had a message. Just, we've, we've used this analogy before, but if you had the cure to cancer, would you quietly go down the cancer ward? Would you go to Carmanos and just whisper everywhere you went if you had the cure to cancer? If you had the cure of cancer and it was freely available to anyone who wanted it, wouldn't you step in the door with a little bit of volume in your voice? Wouldn't you want to be there in room after room with a cure that someone else provided? Or would you just hang on to that for another day? think about this because the disease of sin has affected all of us we die without christ and we're separated from him from all eternity and so paul said i didn't shrink back from this i came to you on mission and i proclaimed i was a herald of this message he said i was teaching you public ministry, private ministry. He would go into the public setting and then he would go into small groups, house to house, and he was constantly, his life was poured into this. He said, I was testifying. The root of that word is witness or martyr. This message is for sinners. It was for Jews. It was for Gentiles. It was for everybody. It's the same Lord who will save anyone who will come to him. Acts 4.12 says, and we must be We must be saved by this Jesus Christ. It's a message testifying about the one to whom we are all indebted. We are all indebted to to God and about the one who came and became the substitute, the payment for all who would repent to our God. Do you understand what repentance is? So repentance is not the gospel. I'm going to go back to this. Repentance is a right Response to the gospel. The gospel is, God created you, and you committed treason, and so did I, and I deserve to be punished, separated from God. And Jesus came, and he paid that penalty. The right response is not, huh, that's interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. The right response is, he's right. I am guilty. All those Ten Commandments we went through, broke them all. Commandment one, put God first in all things all the time. Okay, who's going on to number two, right? Let alone three. Take the name of Lord your God in vain. This isn't here, do this, and you'll be good with God. The law is a mirror that says you can't do this. But this is the righteous, holy law of God, and here is Christ who is, is this and fulfilled the law in your place on your behalf and he said hey put their tab it's on me for all who will repent and trust in me it's on me father i paid their bill i paid their fine i paid the penalty it's on me and then he didn't just put us out of prison he put us into his own family and made us a joint heir with christ come on now how are you going to whisper that right uh, and you were all dead and ready to die and go to hell. And the Lord came and sent Jesus, and He took your place. And uh, my next point like, come on, man. Number four, speaking of the next point, right priorities for ministry. Right priorities for ministry. Paul was yielded to the Spirit. Every member of the Trinity is active in in Paul's, this, this whole meeting, this final farewell. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit guiding Paul to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit revealed to Paul, you have chains and tribulations coming. This is not, sorry Joel Osteen, your best life now and others like him promising people empty temporary nothings this is hey paul you're going to be chained and you are going to be persecuted you are there's tribulations coming buddy and what did paul do i'm going and all the people are like, please don't go, don't go, don't go, please don't go. He's like, what are you doing to me? I'm on mission here. I don't belong to myself anymore. Look like what he said I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Now, I love y'all. And some of y'all are like, oh, Pastor, you know, worried about you if you're traveling. There's the verse. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. I belong to someone else, and if you're in Christ, so do you. So we don't call the shots anymore, and all my days, the psalmist says, my times are in your hand. I'll be just as safe right here as I am anywhere Because the Lord is with me. Do you believe that? And then we pray, Lord, give safety. Because God is sovereign and we have a responsibility and those two things go together and God responds to the prayers of his people. And let me say in the loudest, most loving possible way thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. Thank you for loving. Paul wasn't discouraged by these coming trials, he wasn't self centered. He wasn't trying to hang on to this this best life now. He said, no, this this life is is like James said. It's like a a breath that's here and gone. And he said, I want everything that I do in this life to be invested for eternity. And so he is saying, I'm living for the highest goal that I may, and he wants to finish. He said, I want to finish my can I ask you this morning, what are you living for? I mean, what drives you? What are you passionate about? What do you think about in the middle of the night? What do you think about when you get up? When your mind wanders and you're supposed to be working at your job, what are you thinking about? What are you passionate about? Paul said, I want to finish my race. A lot of people start races and they don't finish them. I've told you about My friend Bob, he's older than I was in school growing up, he signed up to run the mile race at the competition. We went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and Bob, that gun went off, and he went running. Only problem, Bob didn't train. (laughs) And everybody's like, whoa, this guy's setting the pace for this race. On an indoor track, he did some unmentionables halfway through. He didn't finish the race. And then it turned into quite an embarrassing scene. I want to finish well. It's always kind of in the back of my mind. I don't don't want don't want to do the Bob thing. But even more so, when it comes to the spiritual, many people begin well. They start well. They see great things, and they're active, and they're serving, and then what happened? Sometimes that happens in our marriages, loved ones. We start well. And then life begins to happen and jobs and shuttling kids to whatever. And we stop prioritizing the spouse that God has given to us. We were having uh, dinner the other night. Lola and I were there waiting on Ginger to uh, get off work and join us. And out of the corner of our eye, we saw a couple. They were not a young couple. And they were holding hands across the table. And so then I'm getting curious. Like, I'm looking for one of these, you know. I'm like, are they married? Because if they're married in the age that they're at and they're still holding hands across the table, like I'm, I just want to buy their meal, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on now. But there were no rings. I don't know their story. But then Lola and I talked about that. Like, how often? How often are we still pursuing that spouse and remembering what attracted to us? them to us, or us to them, or however we fooled them, in some of our cases, to marry us. Paul said, I've started this race, but I want to finish. I want to finish well. This is a personal race. This man, Paul, he battled depression, anxiety, but his goal was to finish with joy. His public ministry entrusted to him personally from the Lord Jesus Christ. He desired to be found faithful. Paul said, I want everything. You cut me all the way through. I want you to find this is a genuine, I love the Lord and I'm here. and I want to finish my race. I want to fulfill my calling to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's in verse 24. I think that that could summarize Paul's life in a verse. That from the moment he, because that verse, before his conversion, when he was holding the coats at Stephen's martyrdom, stoning of Stephen, Paul would have said, I'll tell you what my life is about, that I testify to Judaism and to how great I am. And I'll run out anybody that worships or follows Jesus of Nazareth. But when he met the risen, ascended Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, then everything changed and he said, you know what, I want to fulfill my calling. I want to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Everywhere I go, I want to tell you about the gospel and the grace of God. Now what if that one verse... Perhaps underline that. Perhaps we commit to memorize that verse. Lord, help me to be in this way like Paul, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let my life sing that, preach that, live that. Help my preaching to not be disconnected from how I live and talk to my family, how I treat the people that have my own last name, but that that message transforms how I relate to everyone in my family, in my church family, in my community, and let that then overflow to the world. Number five. In verses 25 to 31, a comprehensive teaching of Scripture. A comprehensive teaching of Scripture. This is it. This is one final meeting. Verse 25, Paul says, well, this is it, fellas. You're not going to see me again, not here on this earth. And I'll tell you what I've done. I have preached Caruso, okay, the kingdom of God among you. I came and I heralded this message. Holy Spirit revealed to him, this is your last meeting with these guys. When I encourage other pastors and preachers, when I think of my own responsibility that every message preached to like this is it what if this is the last message that i deliver then bring it swing for the fences like put it out of the park don't save it like i'll just hang on to that for no if the lord gives me next week then he'll give me the grace and the strength that i need and you need to put up with me next week right So Paul says, I came, I brought it. I have no regrets. Verses 26 and 27, Paul says, I'm on the record here. I don't have any regrets. I declare to you the whole counsel of God. Old Testament and New Testament. In my Bible, I have written down all of the the books that we have gone through in the ministry here. Right now, we're at 17. We've gone through since I've been here. So... If you're wondering, like, how long I plan on staying, like, there's 66 books in the Bible, right? So we've got a little bit more to do. I'm saving some of the hard ones for later when you can just be like, well, you know, he's old. You know, Leviticus chapter 3, here we go. I'm saving that one to when I need, I have a whole lot more wisdom, okay? It's my plan, all right? But Paul says, I have no regrets. I wish I could say that. I have plenty of regrets, things I shouldn't have said or things that should have been said, but I said it in the wrong way or responded in the wrong way. Plenty of regrets. Paul says, I don't have any regrets. Well, that's thats my prayer. Can you say that? I don't have any regrets. How oh, we need the grace of God, don't we? So in verse 28, Paul gathers these men in. He says, now, You guys need to pay attention here. If you're gonna have a right priority for ministry, if you're not gonna devolve into doing silly, foolish things, trying to get crowds, then you have the right priorities for ministry. You need to elevate, you need to understand, hold high the word of God. Don't be frivolous about the truth. And he says this, you need to watch closely. First of all, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. That's where. That's where, as a, as a pastor, that's where the message has to begin. If you're given the joy, that privileged position of teaching, the message is first of all preached, taught to your own heart. How do I need this? What do I need to learn from this? How does this encourage me? How does this exhort me? How does this convict me of where I'm? I'm. I, I need repentance and the Lord's forgiveness and confession and Lord you deal with my first of all take care of your own heart guard your own heart isn't it easy for us to be looking around and well they need to and they oh look at that and we we overlook well where am I lacking? Where am I needing the grace of God? What's going on in here? First of all, pay attention to yourselves. I think I could have used somebody early on in ministry like, hey, hey, Wise, here's your verse, buddy. Pay attention to yourself. I probably would have said, oh, I am. They probably should have said, eh, you need to do a little better then. <laughs> You're looking after everybody else. Pay attention to your owner. Start, start there. Then, careful examination of the flock's well-being, serving as overseers, as shepherds, as stewards there's a responsibility for these elders and paul reminds them here's your job description your overseers that's the word episkopos you have a responsibility to look over the congregation you have a responsibility to shepherding that's you're with the congregation Lead, feed, guide, protect. You are a steward in the congregation, not an owner in the congregation because the church belongs to God purchased with the blood of his son. So do you think he's going to have an interest in what so-called pastors and pastors do in congregations and what they do on Sundays with the word of God? Absolutely. Because you are Are not my people. If you belong to Christ, you're his people. And I've been graciously with these men that I love that serve as elders. And the Lord will be calling and raising up other elders to join us in this shepherding and stewarding and overseeing of this body of Christ. And we're devoted to that because. You're only mine by stewardship. My family is not mine by ownership. It's by stewardship. That means someone else owns them. That means I have to give very careful thought to what I allow in the schedule and what moves out things of priority like we learned from Pastor Dave last Sunday because I'm a steward, not an owner. He says, be on alert for the enemy in verses 29, 30, and 31. He's, and this, he, he says it with heartbreak. He knows there's trouble coming. There's wolves coming. Okay, that's not a good thing. Sheep are not like, woohoo! here come the wolves. Go wolves, go wolves. They're like, oh, they don't even know it's coming. They need a shepherd. So there's wolves coming. They're coming from the outside. Well, that, that can be understandable. But then he says this shocking statement, hey, fellas that I'm meeting with and we're about to cry together and pray together, some of the problems are gonna come from you fellas. From up inside the congregation, you will be teaching things and messing with people's minds and leading them astray instead of leading them in righteousness. And you know who you want them to follow? Not Jesus, you want them to follow you. You want them to say, he is so great. He is the man. He's it. What would we be without him? If that him is any other than Jesus, you're in trouble. If that him is wise, you're in trouble. We all desperately need Jesus. And thankfully, he's the one who promised, oh, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And nobody else can say that and back it up. Jesus does. So watch out, speaking twisted things, seeking to draw away the disciples after themselves. Here's my book, here's my thing, here's, uh-uh. we following Jesus. So then Paul says in 31, don't forget my pattern. I've given you an example, guys. As, as a, it, it's the same thing he said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you like when someone mocks you? Do you like when someone mocks you? Like, cut it out, cut it out. I'm like, ugh. Some of you have those children or you were that kid to your parents and and then you get it back when your kids come along. You're like, oh, man, I've seen this somewhere before. Oh, yeah, that was me, right? Paul says, don't forget my pattern. Don't forget my warning, my example, my teaching, my life, my tears. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Sounds like the Apostle Peter. I reminded you and I wrote a letter to remind you and reminding you and reminding you and stir all these things up by way of reminding you. You know he was writing to men, right? (laughs) What was that you said again? I forgot. That was a joke, okay? (laughs) Number six, integrity and leadership. Integrity and leadership. We see this in verse 33. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I am not in ministry for the money, for your stuff. And all those guys knew that to be the truth. He set the right example. He wasn't disqualified from ministry. He was a faithful man of God. And you see what he's doing to these other elders? He's saying, I'm leaving. I'm about to get on that, that boat over there. And I've left some footprints. And I expect you to follow him. Imitate me. As I imitate Christ. And if I'm ever, if I'm ever off track, keep your eyes on Jesus. And pray for me, I'll come back on track. Second Corinthians 217, Paul says, he said, For we are not like so many. How about 2024? Peddlers of God's word. Using the Bible to entertain people, to get crowds. Peddlers of God's word. But here's the contrast, Paul says, as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That is a great prayer to pray for me or whoever comes to speak Or that our young men would grow up in the congregation to be men like this. God, help help our pastors, help our elders, help our young men who grow up are called into the work of God, never to peddle the word of God, but be men of sincerity, that they are commissioned by you and in the sight of God, helping to always speak in Christ. That's integrity. Number seven, sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving, that instead of Paul being a taker, like the false teachers were. Paul was a giver. He worked to provide his own needs. He wasn't lazy. He shared with his fellow laborers. He was generous. And he shared with those who were even outside of his team. He supported the weak. This is true love. So Paul exemplified the giving that was obedient to the teaching of Jesus. And here we have in in Acts 20, 35, this is a quote that Paul gives of Jesus that's not found anywhere in the Gospels. And he said, but this is what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And Paul took Jesus at his word, and he lived it out. There were some times where Paul wouldn't even take money from wealthy because he said, I don't, want, I don't want to confuse anybody. I don't want you to think that you bought me. So keep your money. Give it somewhere else. But you're not giving it to me. I'm not taking it from you. Because I don't want you to think you own me. I'm owned by the Lord Jesus. And when you are with people like this, can I just, it it was mentioned even in our video today, the sacrificial giving of God's people. Uh, Pastor Doug even kind of alluded to that. He mentioned that, dealing with Christian giving. That it comes from the heart. We're motivated by love. We're not motivated by guilt or what somebody else does. But we're actually given out of gratitude. Then he says this in, Number eight in verse 36, fervent prayer. There they are. They're about to pray together. They gather. Paul gathers with these church leaders. And it's all wrapped up in prayer. But that's one of the things before sending me out, we prayed together. I landed where I was, and before I left, you know what we did? There it is. Prayed together. They knelt down. There's his posture. He doesn't gather around like, kneel down around me, I'm Paul, and I'll put my hands on all of you, and bless you, and here's my coat, you know, and do all this stuff. He doesn't do that. He kneels down with them all. What humility we see there. He prayed with them. Yeah, I'll pray with you and you and you, but you're out. (laughs) You're a little difficult. No, prayed with them all. Fervent prayer. I'll say it again. Thank you for praying. And you just keep praying. And we just keep praying and we gather in small groups and we pray and we take all of our burdens and all our requests to the Lord and all of our blessings and all of our praise and adoration. Number nine, abiding relationships. Verses 37 and 38. You can see that Paul's life is at an impact on these men. You can see they love him. It's my my biblical example of it's okay to, to cry together, right? This is a good one. I need this verse. Like Joseph wept, Jesus wept, and you know, here we are. Paul wept. A biblical ministry that endures will not be all about us. It'll be selfless. It'll be about those around us. There's a there's a real manifestation here. We can see it of friendship. You can just see it on display. They're sorrowful. They're they're doing that Middle Eastern kissing one another on the cheek. They're hugging. They're embracing. They wept freely. They're not holding back. They embrace one another. There's true sorrow here when they're saying goodbye. And when we say goodbye, it's often goodbye for now, right? You, You hear that. June always says that. Well, goodbye for now. But here they're actually saying goodbye for this lifetime. This is it. But that wouldn't be the final goodbye. Now, if you're looking at the text, you're thinking, now wait a second. You skipped a verse. You're right. Verse 32. Number 10, an unwavering commitment to the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures. This is what anchored and grounded everything else that we're talking about that when the word of God is clearly preached, the voice of God is truly heard. So here in verse 32, Paul commends them. This is what he says to them. This is what, there's only been two other ministries that I've, been, uh, that I've served in, and this was the text that I preached. And now I commend you when my time ended with them. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is leaving them, but they're not going to be alone. What does it mean that he commended them? It means the place alongside, to deposit for safekeeping. We travel in, when you travel in another country, you, you have your passport. You don't leave that out on the table while you use the restroom at the restaurant. That's not placing somewhere for safekeeping, okay? Paul says, I've placed you somewhere. I've deposited you where you will be safe. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he slept, he preached, and eventually died all for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does he do then? He says, I'm leaving you, I'm commending you to the triune God. The creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything we trust in him. He commended them to the word of his grace. I leave you in the hand of God and I leave you in the care of his word. The word of his grace. And what is his word able to do? Able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Putting you in a family. Giving you everything that you need that you don't have on your own. I'm giving you in the care of God and in his word. And that is what you need. That's what the word is able to do. The word is able to build you up. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God cuts all the way through, but it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It cuts away what needs to go, and it also cleanses and puts in what needs to be there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. There's a purpose to this word. This is a life-changing word. Martin Luther is the one who said, this book is alive, it speaks to me. This is a living word of God, and it is able to build you up. It is able to give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Looking ahead to the final character and condition of all who are in Christ, he sees us as a finished product. So let's look at these 10. Just on one screen. All of these 10 characteristics. I know that's kind of hard to see all that, but you got it on your notes in front of you as well. And this is a question as we look at these, We say, Lord, where do we see these in this congregation? How are you impacted by those who serve humbly here in this church? And haven't we gone through tears and trials as a congregation? Absolutely. Do we know what's coming this week? No, we don't. Are we faithfully proclaiming the gospel? Do we have the right priorities for ministry? Are we part of a work that is giving a comprehensive teaching, Old Testament and New Testament, of the Word of God? Is there integrity and trustworthiness in leadership? Are we characterized by giving that is sacrificial or leftover? Are we characterized by prayer that is whenever, sometimes, or is it fervent prayer? Do we see lasting relationships in the congregation? that don't just get abandoned when somebody does you wrong, but that we learn that's what the grace of God is for in those moments, those difficult moments. Do we have an absolute commitment to the authority and sufficiency of scriptures? God's word. When Paul's life came to an end, it's a summary of his life, and he writes to Timothy in these final words, Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And this is what I love, and not just to me. Wouldn't that have been easy for Paul to just end on, there's a crown waiting for me? Timothy, pay attention. Sit down, sit straight. Listen to me, boy. He says, Oh, it's for me, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Oh, church. Are we living in a way that shows we're loving, we're looking for, anticipating his return? This is what it will look like in our lives, individually and corporately. How do we respond? To this word today, you're either here and you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. You belong to Him, and this is your passion. None of us are perfect in this, but this is our desire. Or you're here, and you've been hearing the message for week after week, perhaps year after year, and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, you have heard the gospel, you understand the gospel, but you have not received and responded to the gospel, then maybe, oh, I would encourage you today, invite you, turn from your sin, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and take that next step and go through the waters of baptism and get engaged and let God use your one momentary temporary life to make an impact for all eternity. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sufficient word, Lord. Thank you that you are building your church, Lord Jesus, and the gates of hell cannot, will never prevail against your church. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and thank you for the privilege of prayer. I pray, Lord, that you will build up those, all who are in Christ today, that we will hear this word, and that we will embrace this word by your spirit and you will help us, enable us to live out in obedience to your word. I pray for those who have never turned from their sin and trusted in you that today would be their day of salvation, that today would be their day of finally getting right with you, God, admitting their sin and confessing Christ as Lord. Help them to receive the gospel and then believe the gospel and then testify, that let us know so that we can help them take those next steps of obedience lord we love you we want to be this kind of a people a ministry that endures that makes the most good bringing glory to you and good to all who are around us for the honor and glory of jesus in whose name we pray and all god's people said amen